Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. If anybody's ever gotten a diagnosis of cancer, that alone is difficult enough. But what is going on now to protect these vulnerable patients who might have a cancer diagnosis undergoing chemotherapy during the time of coronavirus? Well, that does change things just a bit. And I'm happy to be on the line with Dr. Jeffrey Colleen. He's the director of laboratories at Kapilani Medical Center for Women and Children and the medical director of the Oncology Service Line at Hawaii Pacific Health Medical Group. And he's going to be talking to us a little bit about the response of what people can do to keep themselves from having either advanced diagnosis of cancer or how they can protect themselves if they do have treatments that could put them at risk given this current COVID environment. So thank you for joining me, Dr. Colleen. Thank you, Kathy, for having me. Now, a lot of folks are wondering, you know, we, we've got this major pandemic There are some folks who are a little bit reluctant to come in to do screening evaluations and types of things that, you know, they think might be okay to put off for a few months. Those folks might be okay if they have no symptoms or no signs that they have something wrong. But there's another group of folks who might not be coming to medical centers out of fear. And maybe they have some signs and symptoms of trouble. What are some of the common things that, in your experience, in your practice, you're hearing about of people who might, unfortunately, just wait a little long to come in to get a diagnosis of something that they probably don't want to hear but do want to treat? Yeah, I think I think it starts out probably with a lot of people now have preconceived or maybe not even preconceived. They, they saw what happened, especially back in the spring. And it was very, you know, all over the newspapers, all over TV, that when this pandemic really started to take off, they heard things like, well, all elective things have been shut down at the hospitals. Um, Surgeries were stopped. Screenings were stopped. um, Office visits were stopped. I'm sure many of your listeners uh, probably had just regular routine appointments at their doctor, and all those things were suddenly canceled. Um, That, of course, would would make anyone wonder, well, when it opens back up, is it really safe to go? Um, so part of that is the reason why things were shut down, um, and that's a whole discussion we could have also. But um, one thing from the oncology perspective is that cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment is not an elective procedure. It, it's, an, it's a necessary procedure. So there is no circumstance right now where anyone should be uh, worried about going to a facility to either be screened or even more importantly to actually be um, examined for something that we would say is symptomatic. For example, if some if a woman has felt a breast lump or is having abnormal bleeding or if someone feels severe fatigue or shortness of breath, uh, anything that's symptomatic, some of those can be symptoms of cancer. And the last thing that we would want to recommend is that someone delay that to be evaluated for. Um, It is true that for uh, about six weeks or so, we did close down some of the screening facilities, um, you know, mammography, colonoscopy. 
we did not close down what we would call diagnostic type procedures. So we would never uh, either turn anyone away or discourage someone from coming in who was symptomatic because those are the cases we want to jump on right away. And that's a really good point to differentiate is that you know, when we talk about doing cancer screening, that means you have no symptoms. Maybe it's just because you've hit a certain age or the last time you checked for that particular problem, like colonoscopy, might have been five, ten years ago. You might be due to check on it again. But if you have no symptoms, it truly meets screening criteria. And for a lot of medical centers now, the screening is back up and running full force. So we have seen the summertime sort of we did see a bit of a surge in numbers of cases in hospitals. And then that kind of has decreased a bit. So although we might see another episode like that, right now most of the screening stuff is happening. But you made a a pretty good differentiation between that and diagnostic. So a diagnostic test is... I have a problem. I feel it. I see it. I'm noticing it or it's affecting me. And that's no longer in the screening category. You know, I've had some patients come to see me and say, you know, I did a colonoscopy two years ago. I should be fine. But they're coming in with lots of blood every time they move their bowels or or some serious major concern. And I'm like, well, we're not talking screening anymore. This has moved into that diagnosis. You have a symptom. It's causing a problem. We want to get you an answer as to what it is. So that's a really clear way for people to think about, should I go do a test? Right now, you could for any screening test, but if you have symptoms, it's not screening anymore. Get it checked out. That's the safest approach to take. Now, the other thing that I've noticed, particularly, you know, I'm at Straub Medical Center, but I know this happens at Queens, at Polymomi, at Kapiulani. For those individuals who are dealing with oncology, The location of those offices is now very carefully protected, minimizing the number of people that might walk through those areas that would otherwise not have a reason to be there. Maybe it's a quicker transit or it's just closer to where they want to go. But now those areas are kind of really kept separate so that patients can feel even extra secure and safe, that not everybody can go through there, even You know, the mail gets delivered a certain way so that someone doesn't walk through an area where there's patients because of that heightened sensitivity to the potential that someone might feel unsafe or insecure, even though in most circumstances everyone's been screened already before they walk in the front door, but just to keep things extra careful. Right. And and, um, in the oncology spectrum of things, we're even more concerned about patient safety, uh, and our employee safety. We, with a high-risk population, because cancer by definition um, is some degree an immunocompromised state, and we did have uh, the advantage, if we can now go back to the spring, um, um, you may or may not be aware, and the listeners may not be aware, if we have a very close working relationship in oncology with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. We're one of their affiliate sites. It's one of the nation's leading cancer organizations. Um, they're based in Seattle, and if, if we all remember where some of the first hot spots in the country were, it was in Seattle, in Washington. So the minute we saw any sign that, that in Hawaii we, we would have to be making some adjustments, uh, we immediately got on the phone with Seattle because they had they were going through it already and had already set up many different protocols um, to enhance patient safety of their oncology population. 
And so we immediately put those into place across the Hawaii Pacific Health System. And that had a lot to do with scheduling patients, um, taking a much closer look at what can be handled via telephone. Um, everybody likes to go see their doctor, and that's especially true of patients in active cancer therapy. But there are some types of visits that it's probably better that that patient is not in the clinic. Um, there are other types of visits where it's absolutely a necessity that that patient's in the clinic to see face-to-face -face with their doctor. So really trying to hone down on the types of visits, the timing of them, where in the course of cancer therapy a patient may be, um, what can be uh, safely delayed, uh, a matter of weeks or so, and what needs to be done urgently. Those were all things that got um, laid out within our cancer program with a lot of great input from Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, who, had, who was already in the middle of it. Well, it's a great way to get some advice from those who have unfortunately had to deal with the very thing that we are afraid of firsthand. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, I'm going to discuss with Dr. Colleen how telemedicine and video visits have helped transform some of the ways that cancer care can be delivered. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Jeffrey Colleen on the line. He's the Director of Laboratories at Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children and the Medical Director of the Oncology Service Line at Hawaii Pacific Health Medical Group. Right before the break, we were talking about some of the ways that certain types of patients would need to come in to see their doctor and to see all the staff. And in some cases, there might be some new telemedicine ways that some of their care can be addressed. Prior to the pandemic, there were some significant restrictions on the utilization of telemedicine because it wasn't a reimbursable service or we were not in a rural environment and the Medicare and Medicaid, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, otherwise known as CMS, had not really decided that was reimbursable. That wasn't something insurance would cover. But the pandemic has opened that up. And so in a lot of cases, we've seen different types of visits. And right before the break, we were talking about how sometimes doing things over the phone or in a virtual environment was actually helpful to keep people protected at home and also keep them up to date with their care. What are some of the ways that video visits or other types of telemedicine have helped in the oncology space? Uh, it, it has helped us a lot. In fact, we've already had a lot of conversations with, with providers and patients and administration about how, how will this look going forward. Um, many of the oncology physicians were a little hesitant to um, substitute virtual telemedicine-type visits with the, the traditional you know, face-to-face -face in the office. But I think it, it's become pretty quickly apparent that um, a lot of, at least some of the initial contact with the patient, uh, and then as you're into treatment, some of the um, issues that might pop up during treatment, can just as easily be handled via telemedicine. In fact, now some of our docs are saying, you know, this is a great way to start out first meeting the patient, and in particular, some of our neighbor island patients that may come into our cancer program, um, the, 
the physicians can actually meet them via video conferencing, get initial histories, get a little comfortable with, ask questions to them so that when they, they can come over, um, you're just that far ahead in the treatment planning. So we've, we've really come up with kind of an organized system now of the, the kinds of visits that are more amenable to either telemedicine or telephone type visits. Um, where those people that are initially taking those calls uh, specifically know what to look for and to ask for. So we can start uh, right away know, okay, this is, a, this is a question from a patient that can you know, be handled over the phone. They don't need to come into the clinic. They don't need to worry about you know, social distancing or who they can bring with them. They have to come by themselves. Um, other issues that come up clearly means that they need to speak to the physician and potentially move a visit up even. The last thing we want to do is to make it sound like, well, we'll just try to delay things because sometimes we get a, a, a patient on the phone or via telemedicine visit and they need to come in right away um, before their next visit. So we want to make sure that we're picking up, you know, keeping it as safe as possible but in, but in no way compromising the treatment plan. Well, and I think one of the things that folks may not realize is that there are often some national guidelines that are put out for all cancer centers to participate with that kind of have some protocols on when to give certain medications based on a particular type of cancer someone might be experiencing. And there's intervals. You need to do it at this, you know, day one, day 30, day 45. And there's a little bit of flexibility with some of those treatment regimens, depending on the circumstances for the individual. But you don't want to just postpone and potentially let a tumor become resistant to the treatment or advance beyond where it needed to. So the other aspect seems like, you know, there are these national protocols that all of the oncologists, particularly those associated with major cancer centers like Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, MD Anderson, they're all following these national guidelines. We want to be able to provide the care that has been studied and tested and found to be effective. And there really isn't any data behind trying something and waiting a few months and and delaying it and doing something different. And that's sort of where we have to be really careful with how we reach out to patients and make sure that they can stay on their treatment and follow along with those guidelines as much as possible to get the best outcome. No, you're absolutely right. And it's true that, that essentially all cancer protocols we do, um, even if the patient is not on what we would call a clinical research trial, which are very regimented protocols. Um, even those patients that are not on a research protocol still are following treatment plans that are based on the results of research protocols. So um, we want as much as possible to stick to those schedules because that's the data we're using to, to come up with a treatment plan in the first place. Now we know that sometimes things change and that's built into protocols. For example, on patients that are actively getting chemotherapy, um, what the next treatment is sometimes will depend on what their physical status is, whether they have signs of an infection, what their nutritional status is, you know, things like that that can adjust either dosages or timing of dosages some. But what we don't want is for, is for treatment plans to just be laid aside because of what we think is a risk because of COVID. So... That's why these protocols are now all being set up as far as patient safety, 
employee safety. Um, sometimes they seem like they might be a little onerous, but we're, we're doing as much as we possibly can to keep these patients on the treatment protocols that have shown to be the most effective. Well, and the other aspect that I think is very comforting is that knowing that there are some standard guidelines, people who might be reluctant to do treatment at home have no reason to be. You don't have to fly to the mainland to get the latest care that's available because there are there are physicians here who consult with physicians there and develop the treatment plan that if you were in Seattle, you would have the same exact type of medication that would be delivered. So you can feel comfortable staying here at home with your own support system, with the family and friends that are helping you through this, and know that you're getting excellent up-to-date research protocols and regular treatment that is based on those research results that you would get anywhere. So that comfort level of knowing you're getting the latest and greatest right here also I think is helpful, particularly given travel restrictions. Right, and that's really kind of the underlying concept that our oncology program is based on is that there's no reason that a patient needs to leave Hawaii to get the highest standard of oncology care. Um, and that's why we partner with people like the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance so that we can incorporate things like remote second opinions, um, remote tumor boards, especially for some of the rarer cancers that we may get you know, one or two every several years where a, a big center might see 20 of those patients a year. So we've, we've already set up um, situations where Patients can stay in Hawaii have with their oncology doctor here, but have a, a telemedicine consultation with a cancer physician in Seattle, for example, where you can discuss the findings, you can, they can see the medical record, they can see imaging studies, laboratory studies, and they can actually have a face-to-face -face conversation with a world expert in that rare type of cancer without ever having to leave here. Sometimes that means they do have to travel for the actual treatment, but you know everything else can be done ahead of time rather than go back and forth you know, multiple times in a, in a pandemic. Ways to make things more efficient that almost seem like we probably should have done it before but never really had the ability through a variety of different mechanisms that have really expanded the opportunities for those who are unfortunately diagnosed with serious cancers that need treatment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Dr. Jeffrey Colleen about any experience that patients who have cancer may have had with concurrent coronavirus. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Bavarian Motor Experts. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Jeffrey Colleen on the line. He is the medical director of the Oncology Service Line at Hawaii Pacific Health Medical Group. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the new offerings in telemedicine that have really helped make things hopefully a little more convenient, but also continue to provide the expert level of care for cancer patients here locally that is available nationwide. One of the things that I know, Dr. Colleen, that has 
been a big issue with some of the patients that I see, particularly those who have other types of immunosuppressant conditions, is that they're very concerned that if they were to get exposed to coronavirus and get sick with it, that they would have a slightly worse outcome because they might have other reasons why their immune system doesn't work as well as it could. I know that has to be a concern amongst some of the people in the oncology department, particularly the patients who might have those low white blood cell counts or or other things that could potentially put them at a time or a cycle, part of the cycle of their cancer treatment that might make them more susceptible. Are there any things or guidelines that are being given to the family and loved ones of people who are undergoing these treatments? I could only imagine that if someone lives in a family with a lot of other family members that that might put them at extra risk of exposure if the other family members might be in other professions or might have a greater risk of coming in contact with someone who might be ill. Well, it, it certainly can. And, of course, it's a concern because, you know, there's only, there's only so much you can do depending on people's living situation. Um, especially here in Hawaii, there's a lot of you know, multi-generational households. Um, and it's, it might be easy to say, you know, we recommend that you not be around your family. Um, but that's not always so easy. Um, in oncology, I guess one thing that I want to say it makes it easier, but it, I think it, it, it hasn't been much of a change. Um, for many, many years, we've recognized that oncology patients um, are immunocompromised. And so just the very specialty of oncology care is already pretty in procedures and counseling about um, infectious diseases and how they might be more at risk. So we, we, we didn't really have to change too much about what patients are being, how they're being treated or what they're being told. Um, just re-emphasis, um, we like to, to be able to teach family members as well. That's difficult because we've also had to limit how many people can come in with a, a, a cancer patient. Um, we used to you know, often have multiple family members just to make sure more and more people in the household kind of understand what's going to be involved. But we limit that now. Um, we usually only allow one person maybe to come in, a caregiver or, or someone that, that can kind of speak for the rest of the family. So it is a challenge, but we have lots of educational materials. Sometimes this is how some of the phone calls, um, what the subject matter is, is, you know, what do we do to protect, you know, their family member? Um, what kind of food? What should, you know, cleaning-wise, should they be in a room by themselves? All those kind of questions um, that are not always easy to answer, um, but we just try to do the best we can to protect everyone involved. Now, there's a unique opportunity that people may have uh, tomorrow, actually, that has been a conference that is being spearheaded by Hawaii Pacific Health, and I know you're part of that. What sort of things might be discussed there, and how could people find out more? Um, it's it's going to be a webinar, uh, as you mentioned, sponsored by Hawaii Pacific Health. It's called Cancer Care During COVID. Uh, it's at 12 noon tomorrow. And it's going to be addressing a lot of the same things that we've talked about already, things Things related to, well, what has COVID done to the processes of cancer prevention and cancer screening? Are the recommendations any different? Um, what about cancer treatment during this time? Is, have we changed things? Have we not changed things? Uh, and how to interact uh, 
you know, with the, with the care team. So there will be several of us on this webinar. Um, I believe questions, many questions have already been submitted, so those are being looked through and we're going to address them. Um, and I think uh, there's still time to sign up for this. I believe if you go to hawaiipacifichealth.org, you should see some prompts on how to register for it. Uh, but it will be a webinar with myself and uh, several other of the cancer team across Hawaii Pacific Health just in kind of an open forum like this, talking about uh, what some of the uh, important questions people have. Well, and the one thing I really like about webinars, about video seminars, is that even for those who might be a little shy, who might not want to be seen, they could still ask questions. You don't have to have you know, a video camera on. You could submit questions like you mentioned, or you could ask a question and, you know, in the privacy of your own home. You could ask a, a cancer expert something that you might not know the answer to, or maybe you're asking on behalf of a friend or a family member, so you can't really call their doctor and say, you know, I need this personal information, but you still want to get some of that to be able to help them. So I do like the concept of, you know, this this whole idea of virtual visits or the virtual community that, you know, I, I'm generally not the most technologically advanced person, but I have to say I've really enjoyed being able to attend things like this or conferences that I'd otherwise want to go to, but maybe not have the time to fly to the mainland for just a couple of hours or a couple of days. They now have virtual ways that you can join, either through Zoom or through other types of webinars, you know, GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, all sorts of different interesting ways that people can participate. I really do think that it's helped quite a lot to reach people where they're at. Has the oncology world started to use this type of format for support groups? I mean, I wonder if you don't want to leave your home, could you also attend support groups virtually? Is that something that has also been picked up by the same folks that are using it for active treatment to help those after treatment? Uh, it, it has. In fact, just last Friday, um, we were, we were um, myself and other members of specifically our breast care team were talking about various issues related to how we were responding to COVID, and, and that exact question came up about, well, we had these, you know, these great support groups that we're meeting uh, regularly at our women's centers that have been put on hold. And so, I mean, immediately the first thing was just exactly what you just said is, well, why don't we try to, to reinstitute this with more of a you know, virtual type um, support group? And I, it's, it's in the works right now. I, I don't know exactly when that will roll out. But anyone who's either interested or, or has been in one of those and kind of wondered, how can't we get this going again, I think you can expect to hear uh, very soon that, that some of these opportunities are going to resurface in this kind of new, new age. Um, I, I hope the face-to-face -face meetings don't go away totally, but you're right that it, it does create some opportunities too. Uh, for example, we had already switched our our breast cancer tumor boards um, to at least partly remote because we have two facilities participating. But now all of our tumor boards are, are remote for all those interested. And we have 30, 40, 50 physici physicians and um, associated staff now attending a conference that used to have 12 people there. So it's, it's really broadening, I think, the influence quality of the, the patient care discussions. 
Well, and I think the other thing that it does is that it uh, it allows people, particularly the physicians, to stay in their own office if they can't leave to go drive somewhere to go to a conference. And the other thing I tell patients is, remember when you used to complain to me about parking? Well, you don't need to park if we do things in a virtual environment. And so that's actually sold them on it quite a bit. Well, I definitely want to thank you for joining Joining us today on The Body Show, Dr. Jeffrey Colleen, and anybody who's interested can go to hawaiipacifichealth.org and find the links to the seminar that's going on tomorrow at noon. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Our engineer is David Chong, and we will see you next week when we talk more about ways to stay healthy, to do our best to stay safe, and support everybody out there so that we can minimize the continued effects of coronavirus on our community. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.